This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, this is Pat Pearson, and you're listening to a podcast called Stop Self Sabotage, brought to you by Hot Pie Media. Hi, Jackie. Hi there. How are you? Great, thanks. Good. Listen, I was privileged to be in the audience when you gave a speech at the Direct Selling Association's convention, and it was the most moving speech I have heard in a long time. So I was so excited for you to come on here and, and talk to all of our our women and people who are listening about adversity. And I know you have an amazing story of how that influenced your life. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. Well, give us a little a little bit of the uh, flavor of that and what happened to you and, and what, what you've done with it. Okay. Um, in 19, well, actually, probably all of my life I had this dream. I was living in the Houston area at the time. And I lived there for 30 years, so I grew up there. Um, And I had a dream to go see the world and to live where it snowed. Mm -hmm. And and when I was 30 years old, actually I was 29 years old, 1984, I left Houston, Texas, and I had landed a job in Stavanger, Norway, teaching at the Stavanger American School. So I was starting to live live the dream, and I could tell... Um, I, I had this dream for as long as I can remember back as a young child, and I could tell as an early teen that if I didn't somehow make these dreams come into fruition, make them come true for myself, I would somehow feel unfulfilled in life. Mm-hmm. So I sure. started to follow these dreams, and I landed a job in Norway, and I taught at the Stavanger American School, and the following year I moved to Cairo, Egypt, to teach at the Cairo American College. And I was married at the time. I married someone that I met in Norway. He's an American from Minnesota, Scott mm-hmm. Flug. And we uh, both landed jobs in Cairo, Egypt. He had an opportunity to take the girls' volleyball team to a tournament in Athens, Greece, the Thanksgiving weekend of 1985. And I went along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And we were there for about four days. But I had to come back one day earlier than the team. I had to get back to work on a Sunday morning. Uh, now, Sunday through Thursday was our work week back then, mm-hmm. because um, Friday and Saturday was our, our our weekend. So I booked myself on a Saturday night flight to get on back to work on Sunday morning, and it was Egypt Air 648 going from Athens back home to Cairo. And it was on that plane, November the 23rd, that my plane was hijacked by the Egypt Revolution. Mm. And they told us that wow. if we did what we were told, we would not get hurt. How there, did you feel when that first happened to you, Jackie? When, when you found out you were being hijacked by terrorists, essentially, what, what went through your mind? Oh, it's first, first of all, it's, it's an unreal feeling. It's like, what? What are these people doing? Why are they pretending? And then you realize they're not pretending. It's, it's almost like your mind goes in slow motion for a little bit uh-huh. when you're start when you're maybe I don't know if that's true about everybody that's in a violent kind of atmosphere. It's it's like it, it, it has to to uh, take hold for a little bit. Sure. And then I realized, oh my gosh, we are being hijacked. And I uh, I just you know I, they told us that we'd do what we told we were told we would not get hurt, and I actually believe that. We were up in the up in the air, and the hijackers started to collect passports from the passengers 
beginning with the people in the front and working their way to the back. And what they would do is they, there are five hijackers on board, and they would frisk us, take our passport, and go to the next person. Now, we were about 35,000 feet up in the air, and little we know as passengers, but there were undercover sky marshals placed on our aircraft. Hmm. Unfortunately, there, there are three of them, and unfortunately, two of them put them, their guns in their bags and placed their bags in the overhead compartment hmm. before, the, before the, the flight took off. Hmm. So as one of the undercover sky marshals turned to give up his passport, instead of pulling out his passport, he pulls out a gun, and that begins a gun battle up in the air. And I thought we were going to die just by that. Oh, my gosh. And as the gun battle oh. takes place, the bullets start to puncture the aircraft. We, tar- we start to take a nose dive. Oh. And we're actually depressurizing at the same time as we're nosediving. And I actually thought we were going to die just by that. Oh, I bet. And the pilot actually went to a nosedive to get to a lower altitude. And that's when the, the oxygen mass, we start to, we're, we're depressurizing, so we're suffocating. And the um, oxygen mass come tumbling down. And we land, we end up making emergency landing in Valletta, Malta, which is an island in the Mediterranean. And that's when the hijackers start to make their, their first demands, which was fuel and safe passage to Libya. Mm-hmm. But the Maltese officials said, no, you must release all hostages, and then we'll let you go wherever you want to go. And the hijackers said, we're going to start shooting people one by one, first with the Israelis and then with the Americans. Mm. Now, mm. one of the hardest things about being in this this, uh, this hostage situation or this hijacking uh, was the not knowing part. Mm-hmm. Now, when I tell the story, I know it now, but I didn't know it sure. until it unfolded in front of us. We didn't know where we landed. We didn't know about the every 15 minutes they were going to start shooting people until they got their demands met. We didn't know any of that. So every time something happened, um, the the uh, negotiators probably knew it, but we didn't know it. So it was a shock every time. Every time. Yeah. So was, trauma. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there are five hijackers, and one one went into the cockpit, and every time he came out, we knew something was going to unfold in front of us. And what they would do every 15 minutes... And so they would bring someone to the front of the plane, somebody that they had singled out, and that they they put a gun to our thirty eight to our head and pulls the trigger, and they pulled the trigger, mm. and of course our body would just fall limp onto the plane's floor, and then they would throw our body down a twenty five foot metal stick staircase, close the door, come back inside, and wait fifteen more minutes. When when I started to shoot people, I could just feel my hope run out of me. I bet. And we were actually shocked that somebody had gotten shot. Um, and then it, uh, it sort of dawned on me, and it, it, made, it made me think that, that um, I probably were, was not going to make it because I, I was an American. And um, so the next 15 minutes went by, and we, we figured out pretty quickly it was 15 minutes. Um, then they came after the second Israeli woman, and they, they did the same thing to her. And then 15 minutes went by again, and uh, they came after the three Americans. I had a feeling there weren't many Americans on board because we were leaving Athens and going toward Cairo, and it was on an Egyptian airliner. So there was a lot of uh, Greek and Arab people on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they brought the three Americans to the front. They tied our hands behind our backs. And they sat us in the first row. I was by the window, 
Scarlett Rogan Camp was in the middle, and Patrick Baker was on the aisle. Fifteen minutes later, they came after Patrick, and fifteen minutes later, they came after Scarlett. Mm. So I knew I was the next one to go, and so I just bowed my head, and I asked God for my life. And when I did that, when I just prayed and asked for my life, I felt a safeness come over myself. Mm. And I knew in that safeness that I was going to be okay. Now, I didn't know whether I was going to live or die through it all. What I felt, what I knew to be true in that safeness was that if I lived, I'd be okay, and if I died, I knew I was going to be okay. That's, that's a wonderful point right there, Jackie. You know, that if we can find that part in us, that if the worst that can happen happens, and we know we can handle it, that's kind of what you're saying. You would be safe. It would be okay. It would be okay. Yeah. Then, then you can find a little bit of peace in that, can't you? You can, but you, because you're still human... You still have that fear. Oh, of course. Of course. Now, um, <clears throat> fast forward to last year. Fast forward to last year, which was 2004. I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I knew that I was going to be okay, whether I lived or died through it all. And so now wow. there, that fear was still there. Uh, now I have a seven-year-old child now. Mm-hmm. Um the fear of leaving him, you know, so the fear is still there, uh, but as, as you start to, to um, dissect it and you start to be with it for a little bit, then you come to an, a really okayness. I think that's what I did anyway, that it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It was going to be okay no matter what the outcome. Good. That's a, that's a, that's a now, wonderful... let's rewind yep. and go back to... The hijacking. Right. Um, when, uh, Patch- when, when Scarlett was taken, 15 minutes went by and nothing happened. An hour went by, two hours, three hours, three and a half hours, and nothing happens. And I thought maybe negotiations haven't failed, at least the people on the plane, and maybe we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. when I started to relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about my life. And the first three thoughts that came to me, I thought, the first thought, I thought about the conversation I had with my mother right before I was to take the trip to go to Athens. And then the com- that conversation, I became quite short with her. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my husband, we had just been married for five months. He wanted to go on a date. And I told him I had to get lesson plans ready that when we got back, we should go on a date then. And then there was another thought that came to me, and then there was a sadness that came over me that I might not be able to make these things right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's when the hijacker came out of the cockpit, and the other hijackers came from the back. They take me from my seat and walk me to the front. And Mm -hmm. they opened the door, and I looked at my world for what I thought was going to be my last time. It was a beautiful blue sky with white puffy clouds, my favorite kind of day. And I felt the 38 pressed hard to my head. And for a split second, I thought I would go with my original plan, which was to knock the hijacker down and just throw my body down the staircase. Mm-hmm. But as I stood there, something inside of me, which I happen to think is our inner voice or our direct connect to connection to God, said, it will be okay. Wow. And then he pulls the trigger. Ugh. And Ugh. Uh, that was on the right side of my head. Ugh. And then I felt felt my eyes roll back to the back of my head, 
and I felt like I was just floating and tumbling and floating and tumbling, and I didn't feel like I was hitting anything, but I was. I was hitting the staircase as they had tossed me out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I just felt like I was floating in the air, and then I hit something hard, and I thought I was in heaven, and I remember thinking, no one knows that heaven's hard, <laughs> so I, I opened my eyes, and I was still on earth. Right. And that's when I started to play dead. Now, what happened to the bullet? He, he grazed you? I mean, what happened? Uh, the bullet hit so hard on the right side of my head that um, it just um, took off the right side of my skull, actually. It, it just uh, collapsed the right side of my skull, uh-huh. and it went shoving into my brain. So you, you did sustain a, a bullet to the brain? Yes, yeah. So when they did the surgery, they shaved off all my hair off my head. What happened is that um, the medic team came to get the bodies in exchange for food off the runway, and they found out that I was alive and I, and I wasn't dead. Like, and I was the only one that made it that got shot in the head. Oh, I bet. And uh, we went to the hospital, and that's when they did the surgery. And they shaved off all my hair off my head, and then they cut a horseshoe cut on the back side of my head, and then they, they, when, they, when they cut it open and went inside my brain, that's where they saw all the bone fragments inside my brain. Jeez. And the bullet was right in there in one piece. So you were shot. You fell into the pile with the other people who'd been yeah, shot. on and the then, runway. And then you played dead. Mm-hmm. And, and you knew, you had a knowing that that's what you were supposed to do and that you were going to, you're laying there. And what are you thinking, Jackie, at, at that point? On the runway? Yeah. I, well, I was just, I was in out of consciousness. Yeah. I was in out of sleep. Mm-hmm. And when I was awake, I just played dead, holding my breath and letting it out slowly. Wow. And uh, when we did the, they did the surgery, um, they took as many bone fragments as they could out. And then they cut on my right side of my right leg. Uh, and underneath that skin is this real t- tough tissue. They took some of the tissue out, laid it on my brain for protection because they were not going to put a plate in just yet. And then they stitched me back up. So when I woke up in Malta Hospital, I woke up with a, like a half of a head. It was like a caved-in head. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and my gosh. And that's when I wore wigs or turbans. And yeah. then I had a, a plate put in two years after the hijacking. So you are in the hospital, and now you've realized that you have survived this. And you were saying that you had a feeling of peace and, uh, you know, that you were being, you were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. What, how did that emerge for you? It was like a, a knowingness that I was going to be okay whether I lived or died, mm-hmm. that I was going to be protected, I was okay. Now, that okayness meant that I was either going to live or I was, I was going to make it to... To what, whatever heaven was at that time for me. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay, so you've you've um, you've survived this incredible experience. What happened with the the hijackers? They um, well, what they caught? Them, um, well, uh, they all died during the storming of the plane. The storming of the plane happened um, later on. So this was a two day process. Into mm-hmm. the second day, I was shot. Mm. Um, and then there was a storming of the plane, and that's when 59 people lost their lives mm. total. Mm. So when I woke up in the hospital, the doctors told me that I lost a lot of my sight because I was shot on the right side. 
And I, I actually had expressive language difficulties, being able to express myself through language, coming mm-hmm. up with words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a short-term memory loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember what people were saying from one second to the next. Yeah, I have that. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a reason for it. <laughs> Good. Um, but you have recovered beautifully. You are now speaking around the world, giving people hope. Tell us how you made that transition. From Well, actually, uh, yeah, I'm a motivational speaker. It's really funny. I used to be a teacher and a school psychologist. Mm-hmm. And um, after I went through this, this um, it's almost like it chose me. The mm-hmm. speaking chose me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I could tell that when I was talking about it um, and, and, and people were learning from it, it would excite me uh, because of something that was so traumatic and so horrible um, for someone to be, it to have changed their lives, you know, that, um, that was exciting for me. So I started to glow when I started to talk, to speak. Hmm. Now, uh, speaking about it at the beginning was not the glow I'm talking about because mm-hmm. it was hard to talk about it. And mm-hmm. it, and uh, but once I started to learn some lessons from it, you know, when you kind of get away from it mm-hmm. through, a, as the years go by, um, hopefully there's lessons to be learned uh, through trauma, absolutely through, through tragedy, yes, and and hopefully good things do come from what appears to be bad, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. certainly has in my in my case. And I just started to, to to talk, and then eventually I started to speak to um, gro- different kinds of groups. Mm-hmm. And here we are, uh, nineteen years later. <laughs> wow! And I'm a motivational speaker. It's pretty pretty fun. It's a it's good good certainly has come from it. Yes, absolutely. Um, I the the speaking used to be a catharsis for me, where it made me, where I would, I would talk about it, but. But now it, it isn't that way for me anymore. Um, the doctors told me I lo- that I'd never go back to work. I'd never read above a kindergarten reading level, and I'd never drive a car ever again. And for four years, I just lived in my dark days. And I also had epilepsy as a result, too. So I was having grand mal seizures on a regular basis oh. about oh. about 20 times in a day. Oh. Oh. And uh, the doctors finally got that under control. And I still have epilepsy. I'm just on medicine to control it. Mm-hmm. And um, th- then after about four years, I just got tired. I got tired of the anger and the bitterness. I got tired of who I had let myself become. And I remember I laid on my bed. It was um, a Sunday afternoon, four years after the hijacking, and I asked God for help. But I did something important also, another key and that as I made a commitment, I made a commitment to Jackie, to health, I made a commitment to do whatever it took to feel whole. Mm. And once I made the commitment, it was almost as, um, as, as though the opportunities were placed right in front of me Yes, to help me get what I wanted to, 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 to get out of whatever it was that I wanted. But you had to make that inner commitment first. I did. Yeah. And if you've ever seen anyone that had make a commitment, whether it's a commitment to lose weight a commitment to uh, set their priorities straight, a commitment to, you know, to, to follow a dream, maybe to skydive. Whatever that commitment is, it, it's, a, it's just fun to watch someone that has truly made a commitment. Nothing can stop them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a core level. It's not a okay. I'm going to do it today. It's no. it's much. It's to your toes. Yeah. That kind of commitment. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, at least in my my case, it's taken me to quote fail at something a number of times before I really get to that commitment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it takes adversity. There, there's a quote by Johannes Goethe. It says the, uh, the most amazing things happen when you make a commitment. All the forces of the universe gathered beyond your comprehension, beyond your immediate power, beyond your understanding, all support, all funds, all people, all guidance, all intuition come from the moment you make that commitment. He says that the reasons great projects fail and the reason why people just don't get what they want in life is because there's not a commitment to succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. Yeah, no, that, that's right. And, and I got my, anyway, so within two years I got my driver's license back within... Um, four years after that, I started a new career in motivational speaking. Within 11 years, I gave myself the gift of forgiving. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. within 16 years, I went from a kindergarten reading level to a 12th grade reading level. And that was working on it every day. Congratulations. Thanks. So you've taken this adversity and uh, this horrible experience in your life and done something with it that many people fear the most, and that is public speaking. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, here, here you are. Isn't that funny? It, it is. I mean, it's wonderful. And here you are, having been so traumatized, you can, you know, uh, you can have problems seeing and remembering, and you're getting up there in front of hundreds and hundreds of people telling your story. Uh, I mean, I just think that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. It, well, when I was a teacher, uh, I, I was so nervous getting in front of the kids to to, to talk, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there I am getting in front of hundreds and thousands of people. <laughs> yeah, it, like I said, it shows me. Yes, it yeah. shows you. Well, but don't you think that many times in our lives, that's exactly what happens? We have to walk yes. through something. Yes. To, in some sense, be ready to be chosen. Yes, but I'm certainly a very happy participant. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you're you're co-facilitating this, right, yeah. with life. Good, good. Well, um, Jackie, as a kind of summing up here, what could you say to all of our listeners who are encountering much less traumatic adversity in their life than you did? What what would you like to say to them in terms of their choices or their commitments? I want to say a quote from someone. Right after September 11th happened, Oprah Winfrey was doing several shows on helping people heal. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yes. Um, on a particular Tuesday, this is when Dr. Phil McGraw and Oprah Winfrey would do every Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Well, one particular Tuesday, I came home and I watched the show. And there was a woman on the show that was the, her guest, one of her guests. And she was having a difficult time taking her child to daycare and getting on to work. She knew she needed to do it, but she just was, um, she was scared. She was having a lot of feelings that a lot of people had after September 11th. And what uh, Dr. Phil McGraw said is what you need to do is you need to behave your way to success. Mm-hmm. Putting mm-hmm. one foot in front of the other, never giving up, getting the help that you need along the way. Mm-hmm. During my dark years and during the four years of my dark days, um, I, what I really wanted to do was stay in bed all day and cry and just watch TV all day. Mm-hmm. But I got out of bed anyway. I brushed my teeth, put my makeup on, got outside and talked to people anyway. This was the, these, this is what I did with with the fresh surgery from my, from the bullet wound. I got out of outside and talked to people anyway. 
because I knew that if I didn't do it, I would somehow get lost in my bed. And when he said that, I thought, well, that's what I was doing. Right. Right. Behaving your way to success. Right. Getting outside anyway. Taking the call anyway. Right. You know, exercising anyway. Even when you don't want to. Yes. Particularly when you don't want yeah, to. Yeah, and that's part of the com- commitment thing, too. Yeah. yeah. Behaving your way to success. Never giving up. Getting the help that you need along the way. Yeah, I love that. That is absolutely right. That's because, you know, we can't control the events. You had an event you couldn't control. But you can control how you handle the event. That's right. Exactly. And also, um, I was reading, oh, this was shortly after the hijacking. I was reading, oh, what's that book called? Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. Stephen Covey. Uh, Stephen Covey. And he, in his book, he talks about writing a mission statement. And I thought it was a va- valuable exercise. So, um, I call it like a, I, I would call it a vision statement, and and it's about what what is your core, and if you get lost along the way, if you can go back to this list, what would it be? What mm-hmm. would the list look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Now this is what I keep on my refrigerator door. Uh, that if I get kind of lost and I get pulled in by the hurriedness and the busyness, right? That if I do all these things, this is what I told myself when I wrote this down. If I do all these things then I can feel grounded in this world. Okay. Okay, there's about 10 or 15, 20 of them. You want me to to read them? Yeah, Always tell the truth. Do what it takes to feel at one with God to get inner peace. Always keep promises and commitments. Smile a lot. Find the good in everyone and everything. Take time every day to meditate and be silent. Seek first to understand, then be understood. Take time to be with nature. Always ask my higher power for guidance. Listen to my heart and act on it. Exercise every day. Set goals and take action to achieve them. Give thanks for what I have and who I am. Take several vacations each year. You know what that means. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be money vacations. Right. Okay. Time out. Yeah. Surround myself with loving, supportive people. Communicate from my heart. Maintain a positive attitude. Laugh often. Live in the moment, accept and love love others just as they are, and have fun with life. Wow, that's lovely, yeah, Jackie. You should print that. That is wonderful. I hope that's in your <laughs> it's book. It's on my website. Oh, good. Uh, what is your? Know, that's just what came out of my 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 pen one day. Tell me your website. Um, it's uh, com. J a c k i e. P as in Paul, F as in Frank, L U G as in Girl dot com. Right. And right. so I would suggest people just sit down and close their eyes one day and write things that would if, if they did and if they would do that if they uh, they did every if they did in their lives uh, that would help them feel grounded. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. just put it on the refrigerator and come back to that. And mm-hmm. I, am I doing that? I feel a little lost in this world. Am I doing these things? I said mm-hmm. that if I did. I would feel grounded and mm-hmm. at one. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's lovely. It it absolutely is lovely. Thanks. Yeah. No. It's very. It's very touching. 
Um, well, you were a wonderful heroine for adversity and transforming it. And I know you're touching a lot of lives out there by telling your story. And I know that all of the thousands of women that are listening to this or people that are listening to this are going to want to get some of your materials. So you just gave us the website, www.jackieflug.com. Right. And tell us about where to get your book. Well, you can get it off. You can have it get a signed copy from my website. Oh, good. Um, if they want, if they wouldn't get a signed copy from this one eight hundred number I'm about to get, but they could get the they could get the book. And what's the title? Uh, it's called Miles to Go Before I Sleep. Good. Mm-hmm. And then the subtitle is A Survivor Story of Life After a Terrorist Hijacking. Wow. Okay. And what's the telephone number? Uh, the the one eight hundred number is one eight hundred three two eight. 9,000, mm-hmm. and that's getting it from the publisher. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it will not be signed. I understand. I understand. Well, the message is there, signed or not, but if they want to sign, <laughs> they can go to the website. You have been such a, a wonderful guest. Thank you so much You're for your welcome. time. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure, and, uh, and good luck on all the great work that you are doing. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Wasn't that amazing? I'm sitting here just going, oh, my gosh, what a woman to have gone through a terrorist attack and to have turned her life around through all these physical problems to becoming a motivational speaker. I'm just in awe of this woman. And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here thinking, you know, what do I have to feel bad about? You know, I mean, comparatively, you know, nothing in my life is that adverse. But the point is, for all of us, is that our adversity is our own. And we all have lessons to learn. I truly believe that adversity and bumps in the road is there for a purpose. And the purpose is to create our own emotional resilience. You create resilience by learning the techniques to be able to turn around your thought processes so that you can reframe whatever happens to you and make the best of it. Let me share with you an idea. Now, I've said this before, but I'm going to start with a theme this year. And my theme is going to be to make everybody or help make everyone, if they choose to, responsible for their thoughts and their feelings and to be able to turn thoughts and feelings around to what you want them to be. Number one premise, everything that we create, we're responsible for. And that's a tough one. You know, we all want to blame other people and we want to complain about things that are happening to us and we we view ourselves as victims of events. But the truth is, we're only victims to our interpretation of the events. I want to give you an emotional equation. Here's the equation. An event happens, so you have an event, plus, make a little plus sign, you have the interpretation of the event equals your feelings about what happened. The event plus the interpretation of the event is what equals your feelings. Now, let me give you an example. Event. You call someone up and they don't return your phone call. One interpretation of that event is, I'm no good at this. I shouldn't be in my business. What am I doing this for? They don't like me. I didn't say it right. All kinds of negative interpretations. Your feelings about the event of making the phone call that you didn't get a response to are going to be very bad. They're not going to be happy. You're not going to be a happy girl or or guy after you're thinking these things. So your feelings are going to be corrupted 
by that interpretation. Let's go back to the event. Event, someone does not return your phone call. Interpretation, maybe they didn't get it. Uh, maybe they're too busy. Maybe their life is so full they don't have time to get around to returning my phone call. Whatever reason, it's about them, it's not about me, and it's not about my business. Now, your feelings from that interpretation are going to be neutral, you know, maybe not great, but they're not going to be horrible. They're not going to send you on a downward spiral. You can take every event of your life and write out what the event was, what your negative interpretation of it was, and what your feelings were, and then go back and write out the same event, how you want to change your interpretation, and thus change your feelings. Now, if you practice this on a daily basis with any adversity that you come up with, you are going to be keeping yourself in the positive feeling mode and your resiliency, your bounce back ability is going to go way up. The key in life is not to try to control the events, which is what we try to do. We say, okay, I felt bad that that woman didn't return my phone call, so I'm not going to ever call anyone again. Well, that's not a real creative or positive way to handle it. We can't control the events. We don't make people return phone calls or not, but we can control our interpretation of them. The interpretation is what will keep you functioning and on your way to really making your business work. So give up trying to control the event and focus on taking responsibility that you made the interpretation. It's your story that you're telling yourself. We all have stories. Many of us have stories of how we're victimized. Many of us have stories of how we have to struggle for everything. Many of us have stories that things never work for us. It's the stories and our addiction to a certain story or interpretation that create the negative feelings in our life. Rewrite the story. You replay the feelings. And you make them the kind of feelings you really want to live. That's going to be our theme for this year. We're going to keep looking at how we can take care of our interpretations, let go of trying to control the events, but always control what we say to ourselves about the events and thus our feelings and thoughts about them. There's a whole new line of study called resilience research, and I want to share it with you. Number one, there's no timeline, no set period for finding strength. Resilient behaviors and coping skills can be created at any time in our lifespan. People do do the best if they develop strong coping skills as children. However, you can always learn now. Number two on resilience and building resilience is faith. Be it in the future or in a higher power is an essential ingredient in creating resilience. Number three, most resilient people don't do it alone. In fact, they don't even try. One of the standout findings of the resilience research is that people who cope well with adversity have a strong family support system. They ask other people. They reach out to people, friends, and uh, colleagues, and they get the support they need. Number four, setting goals and planning for the future is a strong factor in dealing with adversity. Number five, 
believing in yourself and recognizing your own strengths is also very important. Psychologist Ernestine Brown says that when she discovered that children of depressed, barely functioning mothers took pride in helping to take care of the family, they didn't feel as trapped. Once they pick up something and give value to someone else, they can feel like they are contributing, and that contribution makes them feel better in a bad situation. Number six, it's equally important to actually recognize one's own strengths. Many of us minimize our strengths, so take a moment and answer this question. What are your strengths? These six points are all part of the resilience research and shows us some of the issues we need to address to build our own resilience. Edith Grotberg, who heads the International Resilience Project, tries to help people organize their strengths into three simple categories. I have, which includes strong relationships, structure, and rules at home, and role models. I am, a person who has hopes and faith, cares about others, is proud of oneself, and I can. Your ability to communicate, solve problems, gauge the temperament of others, seek good relationships. She finds by the way we answer these questions, I have, I am, and I can, leads us to understand our level of resilience. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.